0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom i'm adam and this is normally your weekly x-men podcast where we rank every story from a to z but this is not a normal episode because i just spent the weekend at new york comic-con uh, our thanks to read pop for providing a press pass so that i could stand for many many consecutive hours and log incredible numbers of steps across the jacob javits center Uh, It has been three years since our last New York Comic-Con special, and it may not have seemed that long since we've done a couple of C2E2 specials in between, but because of the pandemic, it has been a while. Luckily, uh, the con was filled with incredible talent and lots of amazing vendors, and I got a chance to talk to a bunch of really amazing people. So this episode, you are going to hear from former uh, Hellion scribe, current Spider-Man guy and, uh, sometime She-Hulk writer Zeb Wells. Um, you are also going to hear from Marauders architect, Steve Orlando variant cover specialist, and just, uh, all around awesome artist, Maria Wolf. You're also going to hear from new mutants guest writer and, um, all around cool person, Danny lore. You're also going to hear from uh, David Nakayama, who you folks will know from Marvel Legends box art and all those really cool variant covers from Unknown Comics. And uh, finally, got a chance to catch up with an actual X-Men legend, uh, the famed amazing artist behind Moon Knight, New Mutants and more. That's right. I got a chance to talk to Bill Sienkiewicz. So this is a really cool episode, and uh, I hope you get a chance to listen to all the interviews. If you're looking at this on the web, we will post the start times from each interview if you'd like to skip around. But I hope you get a chance to hear everybody because they're extremely talented folks and they took time to talk to me. Uh, one voice you will not hear this episode is Jerry Duggan, who uh, we were planning on having an interview with, but, uh, unfortunately, Jerry lost his voice at the book launch party for his photo book, uh, timing luck, which I would like promote right now, but I'm pretty sure by the time this episode comes out, the Kickstarter will have been over. So, um, I, I hope it got fully funded, and I uh, hope you got a chance to check that out. So, um, Jerry has promised to check it back in with us, and we will have him on in a future episode. So, uh, if you'd like to hear more about the convention in general, please head on over to comicsxf.com. Uh, I did a follow up article this past Monday called The Good, the Bad, and the Different of New York Comic Con 2022, and you can get a sense of what it was like at the show. Uh, big crowds, like I said, lots of vendors and unique experiences, a very crowded artist Sally. Um, and you know, there was some really awesome stuff and there was also some not quite as awesome stuff that happened over the weekend as well. So, uh, if you're interested in that, please check that article out. If you'd like to support comics XF, uh, and battle of the atom, you can always do so by going over to, uh, what am I supposed to say? Uh, hearts and pocketbooks something like that uh patreon.com slash and um you can put in a request for a, a story to be covered here on battle of the atom zach will be back next week uh, but till then let's get into interviews starting with zeb wells All right, I am here with Zeb Wells of Hellions fame for our listeners, and Zeb, how's your convention going so far? It's going really well, meeting
1: some fun people and hanging out, uh, signing some books. Signed a few copies of Hellions, which I always appreciate.
0: That's great. I mean, does it feel good when someone comes back and brings, like, you know, maybe your New Mutants run or Hellions? And... For sure, yeah. Some of the deep cuts, I I always appreciate that. That's great. That's great. So, um, obviously, Hellions is wrapped up now, and you've been working on Spider-Man uh, for a little bit, but we are going to start to see those two worlds kind of collide a little bit. You are about to launch Dark Web. What can you tell us about this, and how did... How did it come about that you're kind of mishmashing the X Men and the Spider Man realms?
1: Well, we wanted uh, Ben Riley to come back as Chasm and see, you know, continue his story. And then when we thought about him operating on a bigger scale, the Madeline Pryor of it just started calling to me. And I thought, (laughs) well, if they got in a room together, they'd have a lot to talk about. Yeah. So.
0: It it started from there. All right, great. So did you have input in what Vito was doing with Maddie with New Mutants in terms of, like, bestowing Limbo onto her? Yeah, we definitely
1: talked about that. Um, I had many conversations with her, and we, yeah, it was just fun to talk about that character with them because we both love that character so much. And we like the idea that to rule Limbo... You can't have someone that's pure of heart and because true. it would go insane. It would <laughs> yeah. go insane. Like, to rule Limbo, you can't be completely predictable. Mm-hmm. And so part of this story is, well, you know, they put an unpredictable person with their own thoughts and goals in that role, so what's going to happen?
0: Yeah. No, I'm really excited to see how it all comes together. And it sounds like you're unveiling this this weekend, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like we're rolling it out for the in the
0: Marvel Next Big Thing panel. Very cool. So um, the other thing that I just noticed, having been watching my Disney Plus, is that your name has been popping up with episodes of She-Hulk. Yes. So uh, what's that been like?
1: Really cool. I mean, we worked on it. Uh, like The writer's room started almost three years ago. Oh, my so God. So it's been wow. a long, long journey. Yeah. So seeing them come out is super fun, and I was super... Jazzed about how my episode turned out.
0: Your episode was the um, the retreat, right? The retreat, right? yeah. Yeah, it was and really
1: funny. Yeah, I really liked how it, the therapy sort of takes over for like, it's like a 15 minute, the director referred to it as like a play in the middle of yeah. the episode. <laughs> I just adore all the actors that were in it, and thought that everyone did a great job bringing it to life.
0: So. Yeah, I thought it was great, and I, I loved the uh, the random cameos you had there of Porcupine and uh, yeah. you know some of the other characters that were in that. It was really solid. So yeah. glad thank you me. got a chance to work on that, Zeb. Thank you for taking a couple minutes. I know of you're a busy course. man, and I hope you have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks for sending me. Not a problem. All right, I am here with Steve Orlando, uh, writer of Marauders, and. Um, Steve, I feel like with this new issue, we're up to what, number seven I think just came out? We are up to seven, yes. I feel like we're starting to really see some of the payoff of the Kin Crimson stuff that has been going on since issue number one. uh, For, I'm gonna drop the spoiler, you did end the issue with uh, references to Sublime and Archaea. Yeah. And uh, how long has this been in the toolbox? I'm assuming before you even started.
2: Oh yeah, no, this is all, I mean, the the, the the first twelve issues of Marauders have all been planned since you know uh, with you know as much as anything can plan with a little bit of like liquidity for things say like Judgment Day yeah um, but other than that uh, the, the everything going starting with the King Crimson and going through to where we'll end with Threshold it's all been part of the plan um, you know even if even if the parts seem pretty separate at first you'll see them coalesce going forward
0: I think it's always fun when you pull out of continuity. So we now have Cerebra come back from uh, X-Men 2099. Um, is that a random pick from the team or how purposeful is that for the story you're telling? Well,
2: I mean, if you look at the data page of that issue, like it's, it's purposeful in story because she has powers that offer a lot of utility. Yeah. A team that is away from Krakoa a lot of the time. And you know, in a meta sense, as a creator, um, which is a jackass thing to say, but regardless, <laughs> I couldn't ignore that she is one of, if not the first Indian mutant character. Yeah. So I wanted to spotlight that. She's a historic character. And there's a, it, it seems all but a rite of passage for you to live in a dark future and then come and live in the present, right? That's why she has you know, she gets invited to the drink up with, with uh with a Scanny I love and Bishop that. I love cable. that So yeah, you know, like it, it feels almost like a tradition mm-hmm. and I wanted to in a weird like I love twenty ninety nine, that's not a secret. So I didn't want to canonize it in the same way that Bishops, future and Cable's have. Um, and, and, you know, we're happy to have her. Yeah, the line
0: about betting on when apples will go extinct really got a chuckle out of me. I thought that was fun. Um, so, how fun is it to play around with Cassandra Nova? Because it, it really feels, especially with the Sublime thing now coming in, that you're paying homage to the Morrison stuff big time.
2: Well, I mean, it's it's, uh, again, like, I'm not like breaking news that I'm a big fan of Grant's work. Uh, But Cassandra is, I mean, she's one of my favorite characters in the book, if not my favorite character. And she's super fun to write. And, you know, what the people's response to my work with her has been really, really like, it's it's, it's made me feel good because even, like, nobody loves. No book is beloved by everybody But even folks who are maybe struggling with Marauders Have enjoyed my Cassandra So it, it's very pleasing to me And she's like, you know Having Cassandra in a book is like having Frank Thierry on a panel It's like it's instant dynamite, right? She'll <laughs> blow up any situation And she just adds entertainment value Yeah. And she doesn't care who she, what she says and who she says it to Which is always nice uh, It's a natural budding of egos and heads with pride And you know, pride hasn't forgotten that she killed her dad either so as she said in issue one so we'll see it'll all come around yeah um do you
0: feel a responsibility to follow up on things that jerry was doing with volume one or do you feel like yours uh is all its own thing and we're just moving forward
2: um well you know the nice thing is is that like the stuff that jerry was building we he gave us free reign to pick up what we were interested in things like tempo obviously we took tempo and ran with her i think she's amazing And as people saw in this issue, she's finally getting a little love interest. Yeah. Um, And then the other stuff, like he's, you know, it was, Jerry didn't want to be, Jerry wanted to be to uplift, but not sort of create baggage. So, but that being said, if there's things from Jerry's run, trust me, those things are going to get followed up. You know, this isn't the only book Kate appears in, is what I would say. So, even those things, for folks like that, is also still all in the works and will also hit. But we're not the only Kate book. Uh, so that there was also sort of a diaspora of some of these beats once we looked on to the second, so, uh, the sort of so- soft relaunch that we did with I coming along in the Pass. All right, very cool. Um, one of the things that I thought about just
0: rereading the, the first couple issues together is that the kind of world-building that you're doing, backwards world-building, if you will, is very similar to what Teenie did with building out Otherworld in Excalibur. Is it your intention to kind of have this this history uh you know be a precursor to some of the Archaea stuff is it is it all going to line up at a certain point or is it um something that exists for this story and this story alone
2: well I mean the nice thing about Archaea and Sublime is that they think you know to their understanding to what they remember they are the first you know occupants of the planet right right um and you know so there's obviously like you know if they if they don't remember this I think it's not a spoiler that something is going to happen, yeah. but at the same time, in our own fossil record, there's a massive extinction level event two billion years ago, you know, which was fortuitous. Like again, nothing is by chance. That's why we set threshold right before that. So we know in the real world that something huge and catastrophic is going to happen. Um, it's Schrodinger's extinction, not not Schrodinger's, It's Chekhov's extinction level event. You know, <laughs> okay. so. So, it will all fit in, uh, hopefully in a way that is exciting and, and surprising, um, but it's all it really came from when we sat down and looked at, you know, what there's evidence of in the real world, and then we saw opportunities, yeah, yeah. you know, that's, you know, whatever that event is, obviously it's something that would be shocking enough that, you know, we could finally see what the end of this society right. And we also know from, you know, I mentioned it in a different interview, um, you know, it is a fact, even though it's a mind-blowing fact, that if a society had existed that long ago, it's entirely plausible that there could have been a fully industrialized society on the planet. Okay. Right. And if it was that long ago, uh, there would be no evidence. Mm. Um, and this is not something that you know Jonathan and Jerry and I sat down and took some edibles and came up with. It's something we found in the Atlantic and other scientific sources. Interesting. So, um, so we're all, you know, we're, we're you know, we're lensing real-world hey, items, and that's where you see things like Sublime and Archaea
0: coming into play. Very cool. Um, you do have Sins of Sinister coming up as a, as kind of
2: a line-wide oh, right, crossover, or uh, yeah, is you know, that interrupting what you're doing, half, or? So, uh, uh, well, uh, depending on when this interview comes out, you'll know a lot more about Sins of Sinister okay. as of, as of the, the panel. Yep. Um uh, so I, I can't answer that, but you will quite literally be getting answers like in the next twenty. I'll hold off because well, I'm going to be at
0: that panel, and, and I'm sure our listeners will uh, will get to see uh, it. So, Steve, uh, you're absolutely right. I hope people continue to read this book. It's fantastic. I'm enjoying quite a bit, and I hope you have a great weekend.
2: Thank you, and I will say, uh, Sublimator K may not be the only um, surprising people that could plausibly have been hanging out <laughs> two billion years ago. I mean, All nobody right. clocked Blacksmith, and he was in issue four. Yeah. Oh, right. Really- <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh,
0: Well, I mean, you had that whole Avalon flashback, which was a lot of fun, too. So um, I'm hoping to see more of it. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Steve, thanks a lot. You got it. I am here with the very talented Maria Wolf. Uh, Maria, for folks who don't know about your work, could you describe your style?
3: Oh, that's a good way to say it. Let's see. Style-wise, I mean, if you're a big fan of uh, wickedly detailed, monstrous-looking, savage... um, bangs, teeth, and claws, you know, and drool all over. I'm the artist for that.
0: (laughs) Now, I think uh, our fans, who are mainly X-Men readers, will know your work from some of the variant covers that you've done. Uh, We've seen uh, your work with the characters of Magic, Danny Moonstar, Sabretooth. Um, What's your connection to X-Men?
3: Well, I mean, uh, well, one, of course, it's because I'm younger, so nobody come at me. (laughs) But, you know, the X-Men animated series, that's how it all... That theme song, everybody's got to know, right? But I grew up with that. I grew up with uh, Wolverine being, like, really mean and sassy. And then you got your um, Southern-style Rogue and, you know, your Gambit. And I just fell in love with those covers. And when Marvel hired me and they gave me magic, you know, being just an X-Men fan, I, I went with it 100%, and I gave it all I could.
0: I think it's really great that uh, you've had this opportunity. Can you talk a little bit about how you got in touch with Marvel? How did you get these uh, these variant jobs?
3: Well, some people are going to be mad, <laughs> but to tell you the truth, um, they came to me. They found me. Really? Actually, That's great. yeah. I mean, I was posting up my artwork. I had just come from a hiatus. I within the first year, I was just posting artwork left and right, showing thing everything that I, I've been doing over the years. And then one day, you know, my, an editor from Marvel contacted me and told me, would you like to do a cover for the women of Marvel? And at first, I didn't believe that. I thought it was a scam. But no, luckily, it, it was real. And from there on, you know, it was my first Marvel cover and I put 110% into it.
0: I mean, the amount of detail that you put into your work is amazing. There's a ton of Different influences that I see as I'm looking through these. There's um, horror influences. It looks like Japanese mask work, um, First Nations. There, there's such a wide variety. What do you consider as your biggest influences when you're doing your work?
3: Um, actually, you you got it to the pinpoint. Okay. Um, you know, I grew up with just the the enjoyment of different cultures and race and mythologies and everybody's religion. It, it, just everything. You know, everything about culture itself and what everybody has to offer. So if you look at my art, you know, I'm native, so I put a lot of tribal into it. There's a lot of people tell me that they feel the the spiritual vibe of it. I'm like, yeah, it has that. And then people say it has tattoo styles. I'm like, yeah, because I was into tattoos. And then some people tell me like, you just said it. I'm big into kabuki. Okay. So I really love that really cool samurai, like woodcut, you know, woodblock style. So it's just over the years of what I grew up to like about like everything around me and it all put into my art.
0: I think that the combination makes it incredibly unique. Um, but your line work also has this sort of savage quality to it. Is this something you've evolved into or do you feel like you've always been drawing this way?
3: Um, I think slowly I evolved to it. Now, don't get me wrong. If you go through my old artwork, oh yeah, there's still monsters. there's still savagery. But, I, you know, when you do this more and more, you start to realize like what is... Good for your art and what works for you and what sells best and what's clean and people can understand it if you went back to my old inking styles oh it's a mess it's a horrible mess you look at it it's all cluttered up your eyes are confused and hurting so over the years you know just constantly practicing and figuring out how to balance the ink and the line weight and now I got to the point where it's it's thick it's more gritty you know you could see the teeth you could see the the, the mean faces and that's what everybody like really likes
0: about my work yeah i I think that there is this trend towards the appreciation, at least in the variants you know you're not seeing it in the interiors as much, but with artists like you or Peach Momoko, where some of the more unique styles are being appreciated and I, I think that's really terrific now i I think I overheard earlier that you have an ongoing book going on, right, something with werewolves
3: yes, so. If you guys are really familiar with the writer and artist too, Tim Seeley, we just got the green light, so we are going to be having a comic book coming out called Wild Game. I can't say much about it. It's going to be through IDW, but if you love werewolves, if you like you know them ripping up people and you know the gore and all, you know, if you know Tim, he's a big horror guy, and if you know me, I'm a big werewolf person, so it's just hand in hand, so we're trying to make a really cool comic book.
0: When can people expect that?
3: I think they're going to have it out by next year, but I know by the end of, or the mid to the end of the month, I got to start drawing, so.
0: <laughs> well, Maria, I wish you nothing but success. I think your art is fantastic, and I uh, hope you have a great weekend.
3: Oh, thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, for supporting me and following me and just spreading the good word out. Thank you. No problem. It's my pleasure. All right,
0: folks, I am here with the amazing and talented Danny Lore. Danny, how's your con going so far?
4: Uh, it is uh, not quite as hectic as I remember previous years, but still more hectic than I think uh, I've experienced in a while, both good and bad ways.
0: <laughs> I just caught the tail end of you moderating a panel. What was that all about?
4: Uh, so we were talking... Uh, in honor of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, uh, dis- discussing our very queer love of femme fatales, Ooh. why we love them, what we love about them, what we do to make sure they're kind of, uh, you know, fully fleshed out characters, that kind of thing.
0: That's great. So I wanted to catch up with you because uh, the last, since the last time I've seen you, you actually got a chance to, for our X-Men listeners especially, do a really cool issue of New Mutants uh, starring... Daken and, uh, Thunderbird, or not Thunderbird, uh, Warpath, and, uh, I wanted to ask how that came about.
4: Uh, I still don't know to this day. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've worked with, uh, Sarah on, on short stuff, you know, like, uh, and obviously I adore Vita, uh, and I think when they wanted to have, uh, like, one or two people, like, fill in for, like, some fun one-shots, uh, they asked me, and, I decided to shoot for the moon, uh, pretty sure that they were gonna say no to me having Dakin, uh, in it, but I was like, who knows? I, I try to pitch, assuming that I will never get a chance to pitch something similar ever again, always, so always trying to lead with my favorites, uh, and the weirdest stuff, like the stuff that I'm like, that would be bucket list stuff, and I've loved Dakin since the beginning, (laughs) um, and I, you know, I'm a huge, uh, fan of um, just Warpath and, and his brother both, um, and and Gabby. Gabby's my favorite from Vita's run. Um, I just melt every time uh, and just kind of... I'm good at one thing, and it's beefy boys having to deal reluctantly with their feelings. Um, so that's what I pitched.
0: Well, the premise of both of them kind of being like the big brother characters to Gabby and then kind of arguing about who can do it better it's such a fun premise
4: yeah and I think that like so much of the argument also is part of I like arguments for characters obviously not in real life because this is a headache but that are more about the person who's doing the arguing than the person they're arguing with oh, right okay. and that was kind of kind of why uh you know Warpath gets to kind of be like, I feel like this is the real problem, right? Because Dakin, we see that moment where Gabby is trying to reach out to family, right? And, like, obviously they all make up, right? But also, like, I'm an older sibling, and there have been times where, you know, like, I've screwed up. I've not been there for for my sister or something. And it's that thing of where you guys have made up, but you still have all that kind of guilt, mm-hmm. you know? And this paranoia. Yeah. And then also there's, this, there's a level of You are always happy that someone's taking care of your siblings, but it hurts to not be the person taking care of them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that Dakin really had to wrestle with that uh, because he is very good at uh, manipulation and dealing with other people's feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, And over the past few years, especially in Krakoa, he is far more... Uh, Prepared to deal with the concept that he has emotions. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, he's... But that particular relationship is always just something that's really fraught for me. Uh, And as both of them dealing with siblings and their feelings about being able to be there for siblings uh, and holding, like, that kind of guilt when you can't
3: Mm
4: -hmm. um, is something that I think about a lot. Uh, And it was also one of my favorite... Parts of Vita's run, uh, you know, like I was messaging Vita, reading yeah, like it, like I cried again. Thanks so much. <laughs> um, and it was really important to me that that was the th- that was the thing that most interested me, you know, uh-huh. like and the thing that. I knew that Vita wasn't wrestling with, right? Because it's that balance of your favorite stuff and the stuff that might be too big for a one-shot or that I know is coming later down the line, you know, or yeah. don't know, or I've just been told something is coming down the line involving X, so don't do X. Yeah.
0: Well, we have Charlie Jane uh, coming on to the title. Are there going to be other opportunities for you to jump back in?
4: I don't know. Uh, you know, like... I am always game. I, I've actually been a, fr- a fan of Charlie Jane uh, since uh, All the Birds in the Sky. Uh, I am a sucker for uh, Genre Fusion, and that is a book that is literally two different books crossing paths. Uh, so I'm incredibly excited to see Charlie's work. Uh, and also that means there's a really long streak of trans feet folks writing uh new mutants and that's dope
0: (laughs) yeah i mean it's a it's a really great opportunity for representation and i I think charlie jane's gonna knock it out of the park um what else you got going on i know you've got uh shattered glass two and uh lunar room
4: uh yeah uh speaking of femme fatales uh you know i'm trucking away with the lunar room stuff i am so blessed to have such a, a phenomenal uh group of co-collaborators on that uh and everyone's just increased all the characters are increasingly making worse and worse decisions which is what i like um and then shattered glass has wrapped up uh on the back end y'all haven't seen it yet but it's dope i cried um which is just such an honor um the idw transformers comics was just a phenomenal legacy and uh to be able to kind of be there at the close like
0: is really cool so is this the this is the end of their licensing for those titles
4: uh yes it was announced uh i think it's skybound okay. uh, has it um which you know the, i am there are always people who love uh licenses and always very talented people and I'm, you know, intrigued and excited to see what happens next. I love my editorial team uh, at IDW, and they they love those those bots, yeah. you know, deeply. Um, and so, working with them was just an amazing experience of a lot of folks who love these characters getting yeah. to work together. I was really fortunate that uh, a good chunk of the team members on both Shattered Glasses. Uh, were, you know, art colors and, and letters uh, for the first IDW Transformers comic I ever read, uh, Last Stand of the Records. Uh, if you've never read an IDW Transformers comic and you only read one, that that's, should be it. That's, that's the one. <laughs> um, and yep. realizing that I got to do two series with the people who brought me into this without them ever knowing it, you know, like, it's just cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, and then mainly i've got long pipeline stuff that like isn't like really not announced yet not announced yet um teased probably there's some stuff people can probably assume uh but i've said nothing um memory librarian is still out there if people haven't picked that up uh with several of my fellow uh marvel writers in there we've got uh ebuing wrote one of the stories uh and then we also have sheree renee thomas uh who has an upcoming uh black panther novel um also in there so it's a good crew of folk
0: very cool well danny congratulations on an amazing year uh i'm glad we got a chance to catch up and uh i hope you have a great con
4: you too uh i can't wait to uh see who uh you get to bother and taunt (laughs) (laughs) uh in all of your interviews and always a delight to see you guys uh
0: thanks danny Alright, uh, it is New York Comic Con 2022, and I am here with the extraordinarily talented David Nakayama at the Unknown Comics booth. Dave, how's your convention going so far?
5: Oh, amazing. It's super busy already, as you as you can see. We're doing something different this year. I'm embedded upstairs on the main floor with the retail booth rather than in Artist Alley.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So, especially over the last year or two, you have become a featured artist for Unknown Comics, and... Uh, can you walk us through how that happened? Because they have this roster of very talented people doing these, and uh, you know you're coming out with a, a new set of them every every once in a while. They look great.
5: Thanks, dude. Uh, you know it's. Uh, I think we're coming up on like 60s. Wow, that many covers. Okay, like to date. Yeah, um, which astounds me. <laughs> um, I'm just delighted that people want to buy them. You know. Mm-hmm. We we keep trying different themes, you know, like we have a thing that I call color bleeds, which is sort of a modified negative space type cover. We've done uh, these magazine themed covers, and they've both been successful, so we keep doing them both.
0: Yeah, I really love, uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners love the uh, Hellfire Gala magazine covers that kind of look like Vogue.
5: Yeah, my love letter to the X Men. It's just like every single cover is is intended to be. You know, almost like full of little Easter eggs and in jokes and and just uh, you know a glory piece for that character.
0: And I'm noticing you've got uh, chrome variants today, too, from your Bleed series, right?
5: Yeah, this is a new thing. Um, not only are we doing uh, foil covers for some of the retail books, but DC itself is also making things like Joker Number no. 1, which came out this week, okay, uh, available, open order, for like $5, <laughs> uh, the same type of product available to, to everyone. In the oh, that's so series. cool. That's great. I'm blown away how awesome that's. Here. Yeah,
0: it seems DC is going in a, a definite direction of some variants and and some uh, 90s style embossed covers. Even I saw were coming out. That's so right,
5: next, uh, the next month or maybe even the next week, we have that series, and I actually really like it. Like it hits me right in the nostalgia in a good way.
0: I am a huge fan. Make it shiny, make it bumpy, <laughs> whatever you got to do. How
5: long before uh, color forms? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, we got that once, right? The triangle <laughs> era with Superman. We yes, did get that That's one right. uh, of it, yeah. I, I can definitely see uh, you doing a cover like that that would look really really <laughs> fantastic so how did you start this work with unknown how did you get involved with them
5: oh gosh I had I had been doing some retailer variants mm-hmm. uh, yep. for, for different outlets and I think I was on their radar and then it just sort of you know we were in our, in the same circle and it just came up and we did sort of a test one, like an X-Men cover, homaging a Campbell cover, way back in the beginning. And it, it was a test, and it did well. And we've just continued our relationship since then, and it's continued to grow over time.
0: Oh, that's great. And I saw, did I see recently you went to Hawaii? Did I see I, that? I live in Hawaii. Oh, you live in Hawaii. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, all I, right.
5: I uh, was born and raised in Honolulu, spent 12 years on the mainland doing video games, and then now our family is back. The very same house in
0: Honolulu. Oh, that's so cool. Because I saw you were doing a Midnight Suns um, signing, because you right. have a Midnight Suns cover. Yeah. And uh, you were talking about how that's one of your favorite comic stores that, that you did the signing
5: at. It's, it's my local store that I go to every, every week to pick up my books. That's so oh,
0: cool. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah, I had no idea if that was just because, you know, you'd like to go on vacation there. But that's <laughs> awesome that you're back there. Um so what do you have planned for the weekend? Are you just going to be here at the booth doing signings? So you have any panels or anything?
5: Uh, you know, I don't think so. It's pretty much just I want to be here to sign. You know, we have all these special books for mm-hmm. people just for this show. We have things like Joker 1 just came out. Like, I have every reason to be here and, you know, be available to sign things for fans. But uh, my wife is in town and we're going to try to go to Milk Bar or whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Do a little sightseeing <laughs> yeah, while you're right. here, too.
0: All right. Very cool. Uh, what's next?
5: gosh. Uh, I'm very, very excited about uh, new books coming out soon. Um, some I can't talk about but some are have been announced, like gargoyles, you know? Ooh, that's you know? Fun. I mean we're talking about nostalgia earlier. Yeah. This one hits me right in nostalgia. It's you know written by the same guy, Greg Wiseman, who made the show. He's coming back to continue it in con- you know, in continuity. Yeah. And I want main covers for it. So I mean what could be better? That so, is
0: really cool. Very cool. And
5: on a similar note, uh, I'm not like on like a regular gig for it, but I will be doing uh, covers for Darkwing Duck. Oh, that's awesome! Very
0: cool. Getting that Disney money there, it's great.
5: It's great. I'm so lucky to be able to work not only for Marvel for DC, but also you know. You know the Disney characters as well and it's it's, uh, it's
0: fantastic oh that's really cool well Dave I really appreciate you taking a couple minutes I know you're a busy man here signing your books so uh, I hope you have a great convention and enjoy okay. the weekend
5: always wonderful to talk with you glad to see you again all right thanks Dave
0: all right, we are here with comic legend, New Mutants artist extraordinaire, Bill Sinkevich.
6: And Bill, how's
0: your con going?
6: It's going very well, thanks. How's yours going?
0: It's going pretty well for me. Now, we are sitting inside of a sort of art gallery of your work and Alex Ross's. Now, you've been doing this for how many years, this kind of a setup?
6: Oh, good Lord. It's like I... I yeah, there has been through several iterations. I think at least at least eight, if not more. It's like it, it, it's, it's all sort of a blur, which is sort of frightening. Whether it's just time moving real fast or my own mental decline, you know, that I can't remember. But uh, but yeah, it, we're uh, we're actually con- we consolidate. Like I think for a couple of years, I had my own my like, my own booth associated with with uh, Alex Ross Art with Sal and, and, and Chris. But uh, but this is nice. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a little oasis. You know,
0: well, it's a big shift from. I know I've seen you in years, many years past, down in Artist Alley. Do you prefer sort of this quiet nook as opposed to the the hustle and bustle of downstairs?
6: Uh, well, it's uh, you know, it's it's sort of apples and oranges. I mean, I I love Artist Alley, and I I still do Artist Alley at at other shows. uh, You know, uh, but um, you know, to be amongst colleagues and everything else, but up here because we're we're also you know doing more of a like a, a trying to do. An illustration, fine art, and being around the paintings, having a little bit more uh, space to, to exhibit and uh, and whatnot. It, uh, I you know, I like it because it's 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 nice to be up on the main floor and talk to people and have have kind of a different a different level of traffic. The one thing I will say about Artist Alley is it's both good and bad. Is that it can get super congested, yeah. At which you know can amount to a, like especially with COVID, it can amount to like a, ma- a major petri dish, or or as Marg Marguerite tells her, a peach tree dish." Uh, so I couldn't resist. But the uh, but the other part is, is that it is that crowded, and everybody is just so enthusiastic. So you know, um, so it, it's it's uh, you know, it, it is fine. I, I love it up here, but I, at the same time, I, I do want to get downstairs and say hi to everybody.
0: Yeah, a different kind of energy, you know. Um, so being surrounded by this as it changed? The way you think of yourself as an artist, you know, in terms of being a painter or a comics artist, or even maybe a fine artist, like how do how do you define yourself at this stage of the career?
6: I I still feel like like uh, there's no arrival point. I mean, you know, like in terms of uh, I still think of myself just as as a as an artist. You know, it's like I love comic books. Uh, I love you know being able to paint and illustrate. So for me, it's all part of the you know the the mechanism or the, the calling that I, that I feel like I, uh, I was sort of imbued with at, at a very young age. So I, to me it's like any opportunity to, to push the medium or to push the boundaries of perception of what people think of as, as comics or illustration or fine art. Uh, I mean for years when I was growing up there was a big discussion about whether Norman Rockwell was just an illustrator like yeah, of course right. I'm dating myself there because like so many young people have no idea who Norman Rockwell is you know but uh, but there's the ongoing battle and question of whether or not illustration is fine art and to me I feel like in one it's not for me to decide it's like I'm just I'm just trying to do good work and work that touches people
0: well it's interesting you know Oftentimes, when uh, people are speaking about the you know, the books that really latched them in. Uh, I've heard quite a few people speak about the shift in New Mutants when you took over and the the sort of shock of the stylistic change, but then realizing, wow, this is kind of pushing the medium. Do you feel sort of a responsibility in your artwork to continue to push the envelope in terms of the materials you're using or, or the techniques you're doing, or do you feel... Pretty satisfied in the in the way that you work and the processes you um, use. No,
6: it's I, I'm all I'm never I'm never satisfied. If that's the problem, you know, um, like for example, when I was growing up, comics were sort of vilified and, and reduced to they're just for kids or from other countries the idea that's just superhero stuff. And I fell in love with all art, you know, cinema and as well as literature, as well as illustration, final you know, and and fashion. I, so I wanted to bring all of that, because since I love comics so much, I wanted to bring as much of that love of, and other mediums into comics. It was sort of like I could go out and maybe I could try, and I did this, I did go out and I did some illustration work, and you know, I did maybe try to do stuff for galleries, but because I love comics, I thought, well, let me try you know, in my own sort of crazy way to shoehorn all of the things I love. Because somebody's going to do it, and I thought, well, why not? Why, you know, maybe maybe it can be me. You know, yeah. I was presumptuous <laughs> enough to think that. So, um, so I love the idea of changing people's perception of that, but I also feel that I want to continue to do that at the same time as I've gotten older. I also realized that when I was younger, I threw everything in the kitchen sink at any particular, you know. It was that youthful exuberance, yeah. you know. And now I feel like I want to do that, but I want it to be um, done in a way that really emphasizes or suits the, the project I'm working on. So if I'm going to push a boundary or push, you know, perceptions of things, I want it to be done in uh, in service of, not just simply as, um, you know, uh, like... like like doing a, an opera and then having fireworks or something at the end of it. It's like, sure. do, do the fireworks fit? Yeah. So to me, it's, it's, it's more about knowing when to use a special effect kind of a thing as opposed to just doing it because you can.
0: Well, and in that same vein, do you feel like there's anything that you still have as sort of a long-term goal, like things that you've always wanted to do? Or do you feel like you've, you've hit all your milestones and you, you, you're just feeling good?
6: Well, I do want. I mean, Miles, I mean, I I think what I'd love to do is I. Uh, I mean, I'm I've got a series I'm doing which we finally just got all the the paperwork done and everything else to work with Kelly Sue on, on Parisian White. So that's finally going to get going. And I have I you know I've had like I've had the project for a number of years where I've sort of been working in fits and starts on it because uh, I wasn't quite sure how it's going to. What it wants to be, because I always do feel that the work lets me know, you know, because as as much as I try to push my agenda, my own artistic agenda on a a piece of work, it always defies my own expectations, you know, in terms of what I what I expect it to be. It's never what I think it's going to be. So. I, and I also want to do I, I want to get back into doing more of my own my own writing again because I, I, you know straight toasters took a lot of I, I
0: was out just about me. to ask about straight toaster. Yeah, took a
6: lot out of me because I realized that I, I, I'm I, not one of those writers who can sort of skim the surface from issue to issue and month to month it's like I go deep and it's like when I was working on that I was I ended up like uh, it probably led to the breakup of, of my relationship with my girlfriend at the time because I was ending up I ended up living at my studio. It was like 24/7. I wasn't leaving, going outside for days at a time. I was just living, breathing, inhaling, eating. You know, you name it. Uh, straight toasters, because uh, it just it just consumed me. And uh, and I realized that that uh, okay, it was the most exhilarating, but also the most frightening experience because I was I was so far out and untethered, you know. But uh, that I think that I almost got a little gun shy about revisiting that that feeling, and now I'm looking for it again. I think, and I think now that I've gotten older, I think I can I can be a little more disciplined in terms of how how I respond to the stimulus. You know,
0: I think that's great, and I really do hope that uh, you know there's big stuff uh, coming from you in the future because I love it when you do sequentials. You know,
6: yeah, I, I realize I haven't you know I haven't done that in a while, but I, but at the same time, it's like there's a lot of things I I I. Have run through my mental card catalog. It's like in in terms of of visuals that that I want to do for this series. So, in in a weird way, it's like even though I've not been working on it full, like full stop, it's it's always in the back of my mind or in the forefront. So there's there's like a um, a hard drive that everything that a lot of ideas are being downloaded to, and I'll, I'll occasionally write notes in my sketchbook or whatever about things that, that, oh, okay, this is going to be a running theme, this is something I want to put into it, you know, so. Yeah.
0: So, last question, because I know you've got a line here, um, you are closely associated with a handful of very iconic characters, probably Moon Knight, um, the New Mutants, but Magic especially from right. the New Mutants. Are there certain characters or properties that you like to keep your feelers out and and see what's going on with the characters now you know i i know that rod uh reese just did a a big redesign of mag uh, of magic for new mutants i mean is it still something you like to dip your toe in or do you like to stay away from it to kind of preserve your memories
6: um i never felt i mean it's interesting because with moon knight i never really felt any um you know proprietary kind of like like ownership of it because i sort of felt like i I was really cutting my, my, my teeth on that, you know. And I feel like the later issues, you know, you know were, were much more of what I wanted to do or what I, I thought the series could be and the character could be. But then when it, it you know, when I left it, um, and because it was so formative, I didn't feel that I had sort of nailed it down the way that I think, that I had maybe with The New Mutants or with Elektra. But, so when, but I was also aware that, you know, they're bringing other, other artists. So it was, it was, it was a continuity. You know, yeah. I was just sort of one of, of, you know, any number of people who were going to be working on it. I think with the New Mutants, I know that when I came in and I was I took over for Bob McCloud, I had a whole different idea of what I wanted to do with that. And then, excuse me, and then when, um, you know, other artists have taken it over now, they, they've sort of built on what I've done. So, and I, and I look at it now, I, I, I think... Um, you know, I look at, at some of the designs, and I, I love what 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 like uh, Reese is doing. You yeah. know, and it's like so. I kind of feel like I'd like to play on and build on that. So it's a it's a continual sort of. It's not like I feel like this is my version. I mean, the only thing I could really say that would probably be that version would be Warlock. But that's simply because I can't help it. It's like because anybody. It's like like Arthur Adams' version of of Warlock is. Is as absolutely Arthur Adams as anybody. It's he's he, Warlock to me is more of a Rorschach character yeah. than anybody. So, um, but I also know that when I when I worked on the New Mutants and with Legion, I mean, getting to know the actors and you know and knowing uh, like Anya, you know, it's like as magic. It's like when I think of magic now, I don't think of, of any particular art. I think of Anya, Interesting. you know, and so and it's like and when I think of, of David Holler or you know or. Uh, uh, Legion, I think of I think of Dan, yeah. you know. So it's uh, it's it's like it's kind of got and and I I don't really know. A, it's like I, I if I were to touch the uh, uh, Moon Knight again, you know, uh, I mean it'd be interesting to see what Doug and I would do because I wonder how much of, of Oscar Isaac would sort <laughs> of creep in there, there. yeah. Because yeah. I one of the things I do feel is that we're all the mediums are sort of coalescing and they're sort of bouncing and it, 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 there's an interesting kind of fusion that happens, you know, whether it's intersectional or whatever, but I also, I think some people also feel like it's not necessarily a good thing, you know, it's like you're losing some of the separation, you know, but it, I I think everything is heading toward, toward sort of, I don't want to say homogeneity because that sounds negative, but things are, are, are becoming much more, you know, they're influencing, yeah, yeah, exactly that's exactly what's happening so yeah
0: well bill i really appreciate you taking a couple minutes um this is incredibly impressive i'm um, well, just looking around at yard yard, the art on the walls i
6: can't take any credit for how this is set up that's that gentleman right there that's sal
0: uh, well look i mean i don't know if you know this but your art is in the frames so
6: oh well there you go So uh, yeah along <laughs> well i mean i could do worse for like you know like than having alex ross uh, you know across the wall on you know in front of my
0: feet. yeah that's got to feel good yeah. bill you're a legend thank you so much and i hope you enjoy the Rest of the weekend. Thank you too. All right, and that is our show. Our thanks to all of our guests, and our thanks again to Reed Pop for the press pass so that we could attend New York Comic Con 2022. Hope to do it again next year with more of the Comics XF team. Like I said at the top of the episode, Zach will be back next week, and we will be celebrating Halloween. So, uh, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survive the experience. Yeah.